Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. I am your voice. So to every parent, who dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future. I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. To all Americans tonight, in all of our cities, and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
one of my favorites and uh, guys and just a, such, such a cool and uh, down-to-earth, uh, amazing man, uh, Josh Halavate, my co-host. How are you, buddy? How's it going, Rory? It's good to have you here, man. Always a pleasure, man. You are uh, you are a great uh, co-host and a, a great friend and just a, a great colleague, man. We uh, We are all very blessed to have you, so thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I want to get into the main headline today, which is Kanye West uh, had a big day at the White House. Um, you know, it's, they're talking about it on every network. Uh, it's constant breaking stories about it. Um, you know, Kanye uh, was there as well as Jim Brown. And for people who don't know who Jim Brown is, Jim Brown is the best running back in the NFL history. He played for the Cleveland Browns many years ago, um, and he's a big influence in the black community. So having, you know, uh, him giving, you know, uh, the support to Trump is huge, uh, and it, it's very pivotal, and it, it will make a huge impact, just like Kanye's making a huge impact on the black uh, community. And this, this is a very good thing. I do want to play this clip um, for everyone, uh, just their whole – interaction at the White House today. It was just, it was so cool and it was so exciting and it was it made you so like passionate and enthusiastic. Like like and Kanye had the best uh, energy level. He was so excited and hyper. I love it. Um one five. Breaking news rapper Kanye West in the Oval Office. Watch. The entire country and give opportunities. A lot of times it's just the overall lack of reparations that we, at any given point, we say, oh, this is racist, this is racist, this is racist, this is racist. So we don't have a reparations, but we have the 13th Amendment. We got to open up the whole conversation. So, and uh, that's a move, one of the moves that I love that liberals tried to do, the liberal would try to control a black person through the concept of racism because they know that we are very proud, emotional people. So when I said I like Trump to like someone that's liberal, they'll say, oh, but he's racist. You think racism can control me? Oh, that don't stop me. That's an invisible wall. Mr. West, what would you like? Oh, your question. You, you had one question. We're going to go to another question. I answered your question. I don't answer questions in simple sound bites. You, you are tasting a fine wine. It has multiple notes to it. You better play 4D chess with me like it's Minority Report. Because it ain't that simple. It's complex. Mr. West, why would you like... I'm from Chicago on time, so I would like to know what you would like to ask President Trump to do for Chicago. You're here to talk about crime in Chicago. The, the thing that... Um, that the uh, head of the police and um, Mike Sachs met with me last night at the Soho House about was we feel that stop and frisk uh, does not help the relationships in the city. And everyone that knew I was coming here said, ask about stop and frisk. That's, that's, that's uh, the number one thing that we're uh, having this conversation about. Uh, another thing is opening up industries, and we've got to get some tax breaks to, because, you know, we're making, um, we got a speed factory in Atlanta, but the shoes are costing us $300, so it's costing us too, too much to make things. So we need some prototypes here so we can get people back to working so China can't just beat us and Vietnam can't beat us. you got Levi's, the greatest jeans company in the world, making their jeans in, uh, in Vietnam. So we're going to need to get a few breaks to be able to have some places in my hometown of Chicago and the 2.7 million to the 9 million surrounding suburbs where we can create some factories 
Now, I think it would be cool for them to be Trump factories because he's a master of industry. He's a builder. And I think it would be cool to have Yeezy Ideation Centers, which would be a mix of education that empowers people and gives them modern information. Like, sometimes people say, this kid has ADD, this kid has ADD. He don't have ADD. School is boring. It was boring. It's not as exciting as this. We have to make it more. He don't have ADD. School is boring. It was boring. It's not as exciting as this. We have to make it more exciting. We have to mix curriculums. You play basketball while you're doing math. You, you, you learn about music while you meditate in the morning. We have to instate mental health and art programs. Uh, back into the uh, back to the city. So those are, uh, and also Larry Hoover is an example of a man that was turning his life around. And as soon as he tried to turn his life around, they hit him with six life sentences. So I believe he's. With, you say don't tear down the statues. Larry Hoover is a living statue. He's a beacon for us that needs to see his family, that needs to go out and represent. When you have a block leader on every single block, they can own the block as their own. That's something I learned from Jim Brown, from Amer I Can. We need to put curriculums from people who really came from the streets, not people who are just trying to set us up to go into a work system or prison system that applies to what people are really going through, which Jim Brown has created. What about gun violence with all the debate about the Second Amendment going on? The problem is illegal guns. Illegal guns is the problem, not, not, not legal guns. We have the right to bear arms. President Trump has said that he favors stop and frisk. Are you guys going to be discussing that? Do you think you can change his mind? Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to discuss I didn't mean to put you no, on no, glass okay. like that, bro. But it's definitely, I'm open-minded. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. I am open-minded. to speak at one of your rallies. He can speak for me anytime he wants. He's been a great guy. He's a smart cookie. Smart. He gets it. These two guys, Jim Brown, he's been doing this for a long time. Is this a future presidential candidate? Uh, could very well be. Oh, only after that. Could very well be. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. We have a good... And the thing is, let's stop worrying about the future. All we really have is today. We just have today, over and over and over again, the eternal return, the hero's journey. And Trump is on his hero's journey. The hell? But best believe, we are going to make America great. Now, the thing is, my, another thing is black people have an issue with the word again. And I believe my feeling from that is because... I'm going to throw it. I'm going to go all the way Sigmund with because time is a myth. All we have is now. All we have is today. So the word again, it doesn't hurt us because of the idea of racism and slavery. It, it, it hurts us because we need to focus on who we are now, today, I, I believe. So I actually brought some hats in that have a bit of a transition. I'm not, that tries to put you up there for a little bit. Uh, I made a hat uh, that says Make America Great. Just that. But I would love to see... At the Super Bowl, Trump wearing the Make America Great hat, Colin making, wearing the Make America Great and showing that we can bend a bit on this side, we can bend a bit on this side, and we can learn how to be malleable in the infinite universe that we are and the loving beings that we are, that we don't have to stick to all traditions. And We are a side. We are one unit. We are one country. We are one moment in history and time. We might have been here before, but right now, we're here together, and the greatest value that people have are other people. And we need to stop working on red and blue. It's like a gang again. 
Let me ask you this question. You're in the Oval Office. Okay. How does it feel to be in the Oval Office? Oh, it is good energy in there. Isn't it good energy? Yeah. It's good energy. It's a great place. Jim, how do you feel? I feel good. Yeah. yeah. I truly feel good. I yeah. you You're so respected. And what Kanye's doing has been incredible. All over the world, they're talking about this. And I have to tell you, I had important meetings today with senators and with everything. Nobody cared. They wanted this meeting. This is the meeting. Is that right? I can say that to John. Uh, no, the others were good, right? But this is what they want. Well, it's my honor, Jim. I want to tell you, I've been a fan of yours for a long time. A long time. Nobody like you. Nobody like you. No athlete like you. Well, you know why I'm here? I'm here to serve. Yeah, it's really nice, man. I'm not here to ask anything. Well, and you know, that's always been the way Jim has been for a long time. And he just wanted to help, and it's it's something special. Jennifer, did you have a question? Um, I guess, did you, what do you feel about Tom Frisbee? Well, we're going to look at it. I'm, I'm open to everything. Hey, look, I think it's a shame what's happening in Chicago. I'm in Chicago a lot, too. I have nice things in Chicago. You know that, right? And I hate to see what's happening. They're having numbers, the numbers of people being shot and killed, and it's, it's, not, it's not for this country. So they have to do something, and I am totally open. If we can do it a different way, Kanye, I'm totally open. But they have to do, I mean, we all agree they have to do something. That's the question. Is it a law enforcement issue, a legislation? Well, maybe it's a combination of both. I, yeah, I guess it is, but I think it's probably a combination of both. And it's also a respect issue. They respect this guy. They respect this guy. That's a big thing. Right now, they're not respecting, let's say, your mayor or let's say your leadership in Chicago. But certainly, it shouldn't be happening. What's going on there should not be happening. Steve, go ahead. What do you want this meeting to lead to in terms of uh, Honestly, from our standpoint, this was just set up to be a lunch of two people that I like. And I guess they like me. And we're going to have lunch. We're going to talk. You said, you said, I guess you know I love you. I know. Did, did I, did but I don't want to take, I don't want to put you in that spot. But. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm standing in that spot. I love this guy right here. Let me give this guy a hug right here. I love this guy right here. That's really yeah. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. And that's from the heart. I didn't want to put you in that position. But, but that's from the heart. Special guy. These two are special people. Whether you like it, whether you don't like it, they're special people. And I appreciate it. Jim, Kanye, I appreciate it. So let's go have some lunch. Okay? Thank you all very much. Sorry, that was really that was wow. Wow, that was, uh, you know, that was a lot to take in right there. That was amazing. Josh, Valerie, I'm going to get your thoughts. I'm going to welcome uh, one of our special guests, though, uh, oil and natural gas investor, foreign policy analysis, businessman, motivational speaker, radical Islam expert, and a contributor to Daily Caller, Clash Daily, Live Set, Daily Surge, and The Hill, Mr. Dan Perkins. How are you, sir? Good evening, sir. I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. Great to have you here. Um, and, uh, you. you know, uh, Kanye is obviously the big headline today. Um, I want to get your thoughts, Dan, but uh, Josh, go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, I did really like that they, you know, directly addressed the situation that's going on, you know, in Chicago. And, you know, the, it sounds like they, you know, they definitely want to figure out something that's going to actually help fix that problem. You know, the past administration under Obama just acted like it wasn't happening. 
Um, you know, and I also like that Kanye made it very clear to point out that it's the illegal guns that, you know, are hurting people in Chicago, not the legal ones. Um, and obviously there are really no legal guns in Chicago. Part of the reason that's, you know, leading to a lot of these, these killings of, of, you know, these black people who live in inner city Chicago. So I think that's fantastic. that They're addressing it. And, uh, boy, they're, that's such an entertaining pair. I tell you what, you can't get right. much more of, you know, an entertaining interview than Kanye and Trump together in one room. <laughs> They're dynamic <laughs> duos, man. You remember what Kanye said about it? And I'm going to welcome our, our next, next special guest in a second. But remember what Kanye described him and Trump? They're brothers. They both have dragon energy. That's how he described it, remember? I do remember. It was uh, I, Kanye has a way with words. I tell you what. <laughs> and let me tell you something that's bothering me, and and I and I'm sure this is bothering a lot of people. CNN was slammed uh, for their full-blown racist comment after one of their co- commentators called Kanye a token Negro for going to meet with President Trump. I mean that's that's absolutely sinful. Imagine if Fox News said something like that. They would be crucified till the, till the for days and days and days it would never end. Double standard. Um, Dan, though, your thoughts? Well, I also saw a clip today where somebody called him the front porch nigger. Jesus Christ! Meaning he he was he was an ornament. Yeah, and they're calling him Uncle Tom. They're calling him all these derogatory names. It's just because a black guy can think for himself and wants to vote for himself and help change the world. These people are so bitter and angry. The left. What was amazing? What was amazing to me was that the both clips that I saw today, it was black yeah. people on the panel criticizing yeah. him. Yeah. And I'm I'm just I'm I'm just amazed that. Um, you know, I've said this before, and and I just finished a commentary tonight uh, on the on the uncivil war going on in America. But but what, what what's amazing to me is that we have this idea that Kanye West is a traitor, and that because he's a traitor to the Democratic Party and the Democratic cause, he has to be destroyed. And they don't bring out white people to do it. They bring out black nope. people to, yep. uh, to attack him. And what, what, what I'm saying, Roy, is that they've lost their ability to reason. How in the world any person – who sits on a major news network, who can watch and listen to what he said and what he did, yeah, and what he said made a, an incredible amount of logical sense. To right. criticize him is is to to say they aren't thinking because how does what they're doing, the way they're criticizing him, a very powerful, a list, influential uh, 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 entertainer. In the, in the community, how do they believe that that's going to endear them with the black vote? It's not. 
and yet they're stupid, right. so stupid they can't understand that attacking a successful black man and calling yeah. him the house Negro or the ornamation yeah. or whatever, the Uncle Tom, yeah. is not yeah. endearing them, and it's just going to drive more and more black people yeah. away. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised that right. if they do a poll next week, that the black yeah. support for Donald Trump goes over 40%. And here, here's the thing, exactly. And people have to understand this. Kanye West is arguably the greatest artist of his generation. And that's me. And, and people were, have been saying that for years. I mean, this is way before he ever showed support for Trump. So when you're arguably the greatest artist of your generation, rapper-wise, producer-wise, and you have this giant fan base in the black community, People listen to that. I mean, look what happened. Trump only won 8% of the black vote. Now his support with the black vote is at 36%. And that made a huge impact. And those numbers came out when Kanye started becoming public. And Kanye uh, has had a big impact on uh, changing uh, the black community's mindset and letting them think for themselves and understand, letting them understand and, and they need, that they need to know um, uh, the importance of getting off the Democratic plantation. I mean, it, it, it's scary stuff right now. I mean, it, you know, we have, and, and you're right, Dan, I do see it going over 40%, the black vote for Trump. And you have these people, these black entertainers that are insulting Kanye, especially in Hollywood, and I believe these people are getting paid. They're not just coming out of nowhere saying Trump's a racist, all this stuff. These people, these rappers, these celebrities, Black celebrities are getting paid. There's no way, uh, you know, very few of them come out and, and just talk shit just for no reason. I, I am so convinced these people are getting paid. Um, you yeah, know, and I, 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 go ahead. I would, just, I would just add one other point. The guy that besides Barack Obama, yeah, the most famous person in the black community to come out of Chicago yeah. was Jesse Jackson. Was Jesse Jackson right. right? Kanye West. Kanye West has more power in the black community in Chicago yeah. than Jesse Jackson. He, let's just face it. Kanye think, West is the modern modern Oprah day Martin Luther King. Valerie, I want you to speak, but I do need to welcome our next special just guest. Go ahead and, and then Valerie, I'll let you make yeah, your point, please. and then I want to welcome. Sure. Uh, real quick though, award winner, international best-selling author, public speaker, American <laughs> educator. Frequent guest on Oprah, Today Show, and Good Morning America, activist for male and female rights, and entrepreneur, <coughs> Dr. Warren Farrell, everybody. Uh, how are you, sir? I am well. How are you? Uh, great to have you here. It is an honor. It's your first time calling in. Um, you are all over the Internet. Uh, you've done many, uh, you know, great things. You have a huge resume. You've been around since the 1970s. Um, I, I want to get your whole life story, and we got a lot to get into. Uh, Valerie, real quick, though, your thoughts on the whole Kanye thing. I didn't get to you. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, well, I think that the timing of this is impeccable because of the election. Because of the midterm. And I think, yeah, the midterm, this, is, this was all staged for the midterm to push us over so that we, we run the table as Republicans. And I think that the point that, that Kanye is – such a good friend of Trump's and the fact that he honestly believes, um, you know, the Republican Party thinks of rationally. We use facts. 
and I think the other party is more emotional. So that's why they call they're calling Kanye all these names. But deep down, Kanye knows. You know, yeah. this this is this is coming to the end. I really believe that this could be the end of the of the Democratic Party because oh, oh, yeah. because there, there are cracks in the in the vase every single day, and Kanye is a huge part of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're you're 100% right. And and Dan, did you have a point you wanted to finish? No, I I just think that I, I agree with Valerie, and, and I've I've written about this this election, this midterm election, yeah. is. Yeah is really not about the midterms. It's yeah. about whether or not the Democratic Party will survive as a viable right. party. <clears throat> it has moved so far to the left that it's, right. it's people are leaving it in droves, and oh, yet yeah. they still believe they're going to have this massive blue wave, right. and they right. are I mean, ill-prepared. Let me just yeah. let me finish, because I wrote about this in this article that, that I wrote tonight. Yeah, I really believe... I, I believe that if the election goes the way I believe it's going to go, and that the Republicans will retain control of the House, expand their role in the Senate, we are going to see a dramatic increase in physical violence and death against Republicans. I agree. Yeah, and even Rand Paul was worried and saying that you know he's worried that political assassinations are coming because it's getting so out of hand mm-hmm. I agree um, it's, a scary, it's a scary time right now and when you have people like Maxine Waters and Cory Booker and all these people on the left uh, calling for violence and extremism and guys like Eric Holder hey, this is not safe um, it's, a, it's, a cra- it's a crazy time um, before we get to our special guest for the night, though, Josh, if you have any thoughts about this last, this topic to close it, go ahead. Yeah, you know, just to say in closing, I think Dan uh, and Valerie were spot on, and Dan specifically, you know, I, I think that the, you know, the increasing danger of being, uh, you know, a, a Republican or being, you know, a loud Republican um, could definitely be something that, you know, you might not want to voice because of fear of your life being taken away because of the politics you believe in. And it really, you know, which is a, which is a sad place if it gets to that in our country. But, um, you know, I, I guess it will be what it will be. Uh, it's, you know, only time will tell. Yeah, I would just, yeah. I just want to say one, one, one follow-up piece. Yeah, last thing. Yeah. I, I looked. At, I looked. I looked at the video of the of the veteran in the wheelchair at a yeah. protest, and where they were spitting on him and and throwing something, some chemical at him. Some people thought it was bleach. I don't know what it was. Yeah. But yeah, the I mean, one they were thing doing, they were you know, doing, they're doing terrible things. But, but he, uh, he, 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 yeah. But here's here's the here's the issue. I agree with Valerie that that Republicans think more logically and Democrats think more emotionally. Right. But I'm also concerned, but I'm also concerned that the vast majority of Democrats leadership does not, didn't, does not believe in speaking out against the violence. They're in fact, the, the perpetrators, whether it's Hillary or Eric Holder 
And I believe if, if I'm right, I hope I'm wrong, but if I'm right that there are people who are killed after the election, the Democrats will not have compassion. They will not acknowledge that it's their fault. They will not. I agree with you. And I, Dan, I think it's because um, that's that's all they've got. There's nothing left. You resort to violence when there's no more talking, no more negotiation, and they've got nothing. They have This is their this is their last pitch effort. Right. Right. And you're you're absolutely right. Let um, I do I do want to move on to our special guest though, Um, Dr. Warren Farrell. uh, Such a pleasure to have you on, sir. Um, I know everybody's going to have a bunch of questions for you. Uh, you've lived a hell of a life. You have, you've had an amazing background. Um, you know, what I like to do with all my guests when they first come on um, is how it all started. You know, the, the background from start to finish, you know, your life story, uh, just your experiences. You know, I've done a lot of research on you. You're all over the Internet. Um, but, yeah, man, I and uh, you've worked with some big names. So, uh, definitely uh, quite the journey. Well, it started when my dad met my mom, but uh, <laughs> in, the, in the context of what you're discussing, um, I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City for a few years and was the only man in that position and um, spoke all around the world on behalf of feminist issues. And then I began in the 70s to see a large number of divorces, and uh, the people on the board of now said that they were getting um, a lot of protests from women uh, saying that, what is this equality about? Um, I am the mother. I will, I've been divorced. I want um, to have – I think I know what's best for my child, not, not um, the dad. I want to move. Uh, I, I met a new man. I want to marry him. I want to move away, uh, start a new life in a different sta- uh, sta- state or city, uh, bring my son and daughters with me. And, um, and then I began to – th- there was a beginning in the 70s of the hint that boys and girls in this position were not doing that well. And but the feminist movement, my board of director members were saying there's you know we have to support we you know, we have lots of issues to fight in the feminist movement, and you know if we if we try if we take away the ability of this uh, now member uh, to be able to make a decision the way she wants to do it, uh, we'll lose some political support. And I said that's really a, a very cynical approach to political support. You know the the job of a parent is to do what's best for the child. And they said, well, we want women to have freedom of choice. And I said, my response was, freedom of choice is freedom of a woman to make a choice to have a child, after which she puts her, the children's, um, the, what is best for the children before what is best for her on a convenience level. This is a, de- this is a decision you make and you stay with through the life of the child. And if children do do better with both mothers and fathers um, being involved with the children's lives, then it's your responsibility to do that. And they looked at me like, are you turning against us? And so I did it, and then they persuaded me to do some research to be sure that I was right or that they were right. They were quite sure that they were right. And so as I did the research, I realized I wanted to find out that they were right because, after all, I was making a great deal of money speaking around the world on behalf of feminist issues. Um, but as time went on, meaning that more data we got from the more people, 
boys who and girls who grew up and became adults um, in mother-only families or and without father involvement, um, the the more I realized that the problem was much deeper than I had thought it was. Uh, that that the boy, what I now you know, in the last 11 years I did, I researched the the boy crisis, uh, morning, noon, and night, and I found yeah. that um, that you know that boys were that basically the boy crisis resides where fathers don't reside, and that the broken family um, really hurts both girls and boys significantly in more than 70 different documentable ways, um, but it hurts boys even more than girls. You know, you bring up so many great points just now, and for anybody that doesn't know, uh, the new book you have out is called The Boy Crisis, and correct me if I'm wrong, you wrote it with John Gray, right? Yes, I wrote um, the main chapters. Very, John fa- very wrote famous five. guy. John Gray yes. wrote, for anybody that doesn't know, John Gray wrote uh, Women Are From uh, Vet. Uh, uh, Men wait, Are From Mars, Women the, Are From Venus. Yes, yes, and it's still a big book, popular book today. But, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to, yeah. And John did five astounding chapters on ADHD, which I knew I didn't know enough about to write. And did uh, and really looked at the al- the alternatives to a drug and prescription focused approach to ADHD, looking at you know, the, the, how much um, exercise um, helps ADHD not ha- happen, um, how much postponed gratification happens, and what John and I did together was to look at how postponed gratification um, emanates from the boundary enforcement uh, that dads are much more likely to do in families. And that is, uh, so for example, a dad dad and mom set boundaries pretty much the same way. They both say, for example, you can't have your ice cream until you finish your peas. And kids, of course, test boundaries for both parents pretty much the same way, trying to get as uh, much ice cream as soon as possible with as few peas eaten as possible. And the difference is in the way moms and dads um, enforce boundaries. So moms will be more likely to say, okay, sweetie, I see you've had a stressful day today, and I have had to. I don't want to take these few minutes of precious time with you and have a big argument over a few peas. I'll tell you what, have a half dozen more peas, and then you uh, can have your ice cream. So the boy or girl has four or five rather than a half dozen um, more peas, and then says, okay, I ate my peas, now can I have my ice cream? And again, mother says, I'm not going to make a big argument over now two peas, so yes, go ahead, have your ice cream. Dad has a different, tends to have a different approach on average. Sometimes these are reversed. Um, and Dad will say something like, excuse me, the deal was finish your peas. You can, you can choose to not finish your peas, but then you'll not have your ice cream either. And the kid may go, oh, you're so mean. Mom lets me, uh, she's much nicer. And Dad is more likely to ignore that and say some version of um, you can continue, you know, yelling and screaming and whining, and you'll have no peas tomorrow, you'll have no ice cream tomorrow night either. And so eventually what uh, the data is in dad and in families that have a lot of dad involvement is that the boy is only 15, boys and girls, only 15% of them have ADHD with, um, with where there's predominantly a mom raising a child, 30% have ADHD. And you can see in that example a reason for that, that with the mom, the boy learns manipulative skills. With the dad, the boy learns postponed gratification. And postponed gratification is the single biggest predictor of success in life and success in school. 
And you, you know, what I was very impressed by, and I know people, I know my co-hosts and guests have uh, thought, thoughts and questions for you, but I was very impressed. You started more than 300 men and women groups. You've also uh, frequently appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, and Good Morning America, and you've been the subject of features on 2020 in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, People Magazine, and The New York Times. I mean, you've been all over the place with your writings. Uh, you've released seven books. Um, you know, you, your close working relationship with John Gray. I mean, you're, you are, you're, you're doing great things. And, you know, I uh, really want to get to some big topics that you talked about during your TED speech and stuff and some other videos you've made. I've done a lot of my, a lot of my research. I like to be prepared for my guests, but um, but Josh, go ahead. I know you have some thoughts. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I had a specific question regarding the African-American, you know, population in this country and with the extreme lack of fatherhood and, you know, fathers that are prevalent in, the, in you know, that specific, you know, an alarming, an alarming amount. Kind of, you know, walk through why that is and really how it's specifically harming that, you know, that demographic. Yes. Um, the first major study on this issue came from Daniel Patrick Moynihan called the Moynihan Report. Um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan was a U.S. senator. He was um, a Department of Labor and held other positions under both the Johnson and the Nixon administration. So he had both Republican and Democratic um, backgrounds. He was a sociologist. Had, he had a Ph.D. So he was an amazingly qualified person. And in 1965, he did uh, the Moynihan Report, investigated why we were having so many problems in our inner cities. And a lot of people just quietly and silently felt that this is, you know, this is black people, you know, and and um, and so when he investigated, he found, well, it is black people, but what? It, but there's a huge difference between the black people whose children do not have fathers involved versus those who do. And among the among the black community where children do have fathers involved. There aren't huge problems. There's very minimal crime. Uh, there's a much greater graduation from high school and so on. But at that time, 25% of children were being raised without fathers in the African-American community. Now it is 72% in the African-American community and 32-33% in the, the Caucasian community. In other words, the Caucasian community's fatherlessness now exceeds the fatherlessness in uh, in the black community when Moynihan did his report in 1965. And, and understand that in 1965, the fatherlessness in the white community, the Caucasian community, was only 3.2%. And so it's gone from 3.2% to in the low 30s in the, in the uh, white community. And it gives you a sense as to one of the reasons we're facing these two huge this huge gap between uh, among our sons and one is the, a group of sons who have fathers that are far more involved than my father uh, was involved or that than his father was involved we see we see fathers involved with the kids in in parks and in grocery stores and all over the place doing more roughhousing connecting uh, loving discussions with them 
and those kids, by and large, are doing extremely well. Um, and then there's this enormous gap of the children with minimal or no father involvement, um, especially boys, who are doing extremely poorly. They're, they represent our prison population. That is, our prison population is 93% um, male. But of those 93% male, well over 90% have minimal or no father involvement. Our ISIS population is almost completely minimal or no father involvement. And the, the school shooters and the mass shooters who are, who are not school shooters, they are almost all characterized by boys, boys, first of all, not girls, who have minimal father involvement or no father involvement. Jesus Christ. Uh, Josh, if you want to finish on that, go ahead. Yeah, you know, you know me being a, a – I'm a 20-year-old single guy, I guess, you know, my, I grew up, you know, in a household where, you know, my father was very – very active and still is. So I was, I guess, one of the people who was blessed enough to have that. But I guess my question is, how do I make sure that I'm setting myself up to not become a statistic, basically? By um, when, if do you mean, do you mean when you have children? Yes. Well, you know, when I be eventually become a father, which is the the hopeful plan. <laughs> yes. One is. What the most important decision you'll be making is choosing the right woman to begin with. And so hints Amen. about that is um, if, if you pay for a woman on a date, one of the things you're setting yourself up for is that a woman sees you as a wallet and, and you're training her to see you that way. You're enabling her to see that way, uh, see you that way. And she's, and, and she's sort of testing you out to see how good a wallet you are. Do you take her to a nice restaurant? Do you do this? And so it's natural if you pick a woman, a woman with that type of background and that you're training her to have that type of background, that she's going to expect you when the children come to have one op to have three options. Option one is to work full-time. Option two is to work full-time. And option three is to work full-time. And, um, and whereas she'll have three, three options, one is to raise children, one is to raise money, and one is to do some combination of both depending on our personality. And so what you'll be expected to do is to get caught up in what I call the father's catch-22. In order to earn more money, you'll have to do fewer things that you like a lot such as be a musician or be a teacher, let's say, uh, you'll find yourself being, feeling pressure to become an administrator rather than doing what your passion is because you'll find that an administrator makes more or being a national sales representative pays more than being a local sales representative. So you'll find yourself being away from home in the evenings and the weekends and therefore not being, and being caught up in what I call the father's catch-22, learning to love the family by being away from the love of the family. So the, the, the first step in this process is making a, a careful choice of women. And when, when women share the responsibility for paying and they share the responsibility for the risks of rejection, sexually, which is relatively rare, you, um, right. um, you, you, will, um, you will then select a woman who um, is willing to, sh to be accountable and responsible as opposed to expect all that to happen from you and then blame you when it doesn't happen well. This is going to get really good. This is going to get really good. Go ahead, Valerie. Well, because I'm a woman, a mother, and um, I've been on a date. I apologize for um, disagreeing uh, with all due respect. 
No um, problem. I like it when a man pays for my dinner, and it's not because I think he has a wallet. I have a wallet, but I like to be treated nicely, and I I respect a man who wants to treat me nicely because I want to treat him nicely, and that sets the tone for the relationship in my mind. Um, I, I think it, you know, it. everybody's got a different reason for why they want what they want or what they do. Um, but I, I find it wonderful when a man opens the door for me. I don't think chivalry's dead at all. <laughs> yes. Um, just in case somebody out there that's listening to your show, Rory, wants to date me someday, then they'll know the rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, in addition, in addition, I happen to be the the um, in my family with my my four boys, the one yeah. who um, who is more strict. And I don't think it's because I'm a man or a woman. I think it's because that's the way I grew up. My father was military, and he would say, do something. That means jump and go now. And that's the way I was brought up, so that's the way I'm, I'm you know, treating my children. Because I think, you know, understanding what the rules are and being grateful for what you have, um, those things come from hard work. Um, Absolutely. So anyway, I just do. wanted to say my piece. Absolutely. Um, but, but, go ahead. Sorry, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, um, I had one. So, I had one other question, and I, I want to, you know, hear your responses, of course. Um, yes, with the boy Valerie concept, may, may respond to this so I don't forget the, the uh, points you were making, and then and then can come back and do a third. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Go okay. Ahead. The um, on the second point that you make, I really honor you for that because. Um, uh, you're you're making a major contribution to your children when you when you do that boundary enforcement and when your no's mean no, as long as of course that you are involving children in the process of discussing why you've come to this no means no, so that they become both creative and um, and participatory in decision making, and then um, you 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 take over as parent and say this is you know this is what you need to do. We've had the discussion. You've had your input, you've had your say, and now here's what you need to do. And if you don't do that, here are the consequences. And, and the consequences aren't huge, but they're enough to make the child um, uh, um, obey. And, and then they're enforced um, as soon as the, there is a disobedience. So that's really wonderful. On the, um, on the, on the example of the paying, uh, let me go a little bit in greater depth on that. Um, if you're saying to him some version of, let's say, let, why don't you pay, or you know, even it's not verbal, but I, you know, you're paying tonight, okay, I'd like to have you over for dinner next week. And you're doing something that shows him that you're making um, you know, th- those type of, types of contributions to the romantic process, then um, fair enough. The challenge that I was, that I was talking uh, to Josh about a moment ago is a little bit more challenging there because there's a part of so many men that feel that when, let me just back up for one second, the pay gap, we always say the pay gap is between men and women. It is not between yeah, men and we, women. I it is between death. Hey, real quick, I want to get into that whole topic with you because I saw the, all the videos you did on that in a little bit, but continue with your uh, thought, though. Sorry about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. The pay gap is not between men and women. It's between dads and moms. And what often happens when children are born, or especially if a, a stepfather gets involved with you and you have four boys, and he he is likely to be feeling that his 
his contribution will be to um, provide income for the family and to help um, contribute to the four boys. And that will take away from what boys benefit from most, which is father involvement. Biological father involvement is more important than stepfather involvement. I say that as a stepfather who wished that that was not the case. Um, but no, the, I agree with you. But, but on the other hand, it is also important for um, the dynamics to, to know how to integrate a new a stepfather into the fathering process so that he has uh, almost equal power uh, from, the, from the child's perspective in order for the children to benefit um, from, from the roughhousing from, uh, and other types of um, ways that dads tend to push children beyond their comfort zones. Does that make sense, uh, Valerie? Yes, absolutely, and I, I, don't, I, I agree with you on much of that. Um, Rory, if I can ask one more question, or am I Go taking too much time? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so because I, I wrote an article about uh, the boy crisis, but what I mean as a boy crisis is completely different than what I heard you just explain, and I'd love to ask your, for your comment on mm-hmm. boy crisis, meaning that, you know, we just had the Kavanaugh issue, um, we have all kinds of affirmative action with regard to who gets into what schools, blah, blah, blah. And I'm more concerned now that there's been too much of a women's movement, and yep. now it's gone the other way. So now I'm worried right. about the boy crisis, meaning, you know, what if my kid touches a girl accidentally in the hallway? Is right. he going to now be right. expelled from school because he's now, you know, labeled all these horrible things? Um, and so I think I think now it's time to try to even it out a little bit and say, you know, boys are all boys are not so bad. You know, they right. actually are human beings, and they have a and right what, to, you know, grow up, prop, you know, grow up and be and be who they are without being so afraid that they're going to be accused of something they didn't do. I have three I answers so, here. Real, real quick, real real quick, Valerie, I am so glad. You brought that up, and um, for anybody that doesn't know, Valerie used to work for Ronald Reagan, so she's a pretty big deal. But um, I, I do want to say <laughs> a very, very, very important thing. Uh, going into you know this whole thing, and I want you to respond, Doctor. But uh, Valerie, I was going to actually bring up this topic as well. I'm glad you beat me to it. But she's absolutely right. I mean, you, you have this whole. It's almost like a trend. It's a dirty epidemic where these uh, feminists and these Me Too uh, females uh, feel want to feel superior uh, to men, and they'll go to whatever extreme uh, and whatever level possible uh, to to get that satisfaction. I mean, their whole anti-male movement, their whole you know feeling like, oh, believe us, whether we're lying or not. Do, you, do people realize how many women lie? I mean, it's probably more than women that actually tell the truth, and I'm not even exaggerating on that one. There are so many women that lie about rape and about sexual assault and about all this stuff. So this is a big problem, and we all know what the Me Too movement uh, entails. They want to overpower men. This is not about females having equal rights or any sort of, you know, uh, certain privileges. They live in America. They have everything, all the rights in the world. I mean, what are they bitching about? This is about taking over the male species, period. But go ahead. Sorry, doctor. 
Valerie, I have three answers to your to your question uh, to your point. Okay. Answer okay. one is I agree. Answer two is I agree, and answer three is I agree. Um, I couldn't I couldn't be in really any more agreement with you. And again, this comes from a man who was on the board of the National Organization for Women. Feminism has really started to undermine women. The the original feminist message was uh, so. First, the uh, the the believe the woman approach. When you take an approach of believe the woman, but you require, as the Obama administration did, to not believe a woman who says that she made a false claim, that is actually part of the Office of Civil Rights mandate to universities, that if a woman makes an original claim that she was assaulted, and then she realizes she over, that, that that was not what happened, and she made that claim for whatever reason. She maybe have had another boyfriend, and she felt like she didn't want to be um, caught that she had. A, she got drunk and had uh, an affair with um, somebody else, and she changes her perspective and says, "I really was yep. not a victim." Um, she is not a, the the investigators for the Office of Civil Rights. Uh, we're right. not allowed to put in their investigative reports that she ultimately claimed that the um, sex was consensual. So you're at the, the Office of Civil Rights under the Trump administration is working on that now, working on to give boys like your sons um, a um, due process. Um, and the ability to, to question their accusers that are part of our, our basic constitution. But the larger point that I want to make here is this, our believe the woman approach, but only when a woman claims to be a victim, actually right. manifests a very deep contempt for women, a feminist contempt for women that we need to protect women from being accountable. So the original feminist message of I am woman, I am strong, has morphed into I'm woman, I am woman, I've been wronged. And the feminist support of trigger warnings and microaggressions and safe, special safe places, but only for women, combined with protests of speakers like me who, um, who do not believe that males are inherently oppressors and women are oppressed um, and don't support patriarchal theory, um, those, uh, those, they are saying we want to be protected from that. That's not I am woman, I am strong. That is honing victimhood as a fine art. And the translation to your, to your son is a genuine fear because um, he, he doesn't know that if he goes, first of all, in 26 states, if he goes to a university in 26 of these United States, um, he will be subject to affirmative consent legislation, which means that if he reaches out to take, your, uh, to take a woman who has agreed to a date with him and to take her hand without her saying an affirmative consent that is saying, yes, I affirm that you may take my hand, um, he can be accused by her uh, later of, or at that time of sexual assault. Um, so, he, so here's where your son is left. He worries that if he, if he takes advance, if he makes um, uh, an overture too quickly, too soon, before he relaxes the woman with some drinks, but if, there, if it goes to too many drinks where she becomes drunk, at what point does that happen? If she says right. no, does she mean no forever? Or does she mean, mean no just for the rest of the date? Or does she mean no until he gives her more wine to relax more or more coffee to wake up <laughs> or talk more about himself or talk more about herself? I mean, it drives the boy crazy if he's, because he's often 14 or 15, less mature than the female he's asking out, and he's af afraid that he'll in some way screw it up. And so 
he then chooses, maybe let's say, your son chooses to become very cautious. And then, so he doesn't reach for the, the girl's or woman's hand. He doesn't reach over to kiss her. He doesn't make any moves. He allows three or four dates to go by with being very, very cautious, maybe just holding hands. And almost invariably, the girl says, you know, I find you to be one of the sweetest, most wonderful guys I've ever gone out with, but I really just want us to be friends. And, exactly. uh, and then I had one boy who I interviewed for the boy crisis research uh, that said to me, and then she came up to me a few days later and said to me, by the way, Kirk, I love Kirk in, our, in your class. You have him in this math class. Can you introduce him to me? Now, Kirk yeah. happened to be the quarterback on the football team. And so um, you can imagine yeah, it, how this boy felt. On the one hand, if he, right. he, he feels caught between a rock and a hard place. And so many boys turn to pornography. And pornography yeah. addicts them to women who by only by taking increasingly risky behavior with women that then leads to women not feeling that they're treated like real subtle and respected human beings that leads to him being rejected more by women that turns him into more pornography to to rescue himself from total loneliness fascinating Uh, what i'm finding is the women are now the girls are so aggressive that I'm worried yeah. about my son with the aggressive girls, and I say they're going to break your heart. They're going to lead you on, and then you're going to be stuck with a broken heart sitting home. Um, and that's, that's, what, that's yeah. what I think the Women Strong movement has, has created. And, and, Val, and Valerie, and, and I think everybody, and I agree, you know, Valerie, with your, with your kids and with anybody that has kids or anybody that has a loved one, I mean, the fact that due process, is pretty much in jeopardy at this point. I mean, whatever happened to that? I mean, basically a woman makes up an accusation. Look what happened to Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, they were off of an accusation. They were trying to call him a fucking rapist. I mean, this is, this is absolute insanity. I mean, it, it's like this is what the Me Too has, has it evolved into. It's basically, like we were saying, believe women, don't do any sort of investigation, even though women lie constantly. And, and let's face it, you know, this is, this is a lot of the Me Too movement is for attention. It's not even real. And these women come out 30 years later. I mean, if it was so traumatic and such a, a bad event in their life, they would have came out right away or, you know, within a year or two. They wouldn't have waited 30 years. I mean, you have all – and imagine this. We heard with Kavanaugh's accuser, Dr. Ford, who looks like Garth from Wayne's World, Dana Carvey, uh, she's not pursuing charges. So, I mean, so there, there you go. I mean, it's like we know these people are lying, and we're like – there's people that are like, oh, really? Oh, I believe Dr. Ford. I believe she was touched 38 years ago. I mean, and this woman couldn't even keep her story straight. She didn't have a who, when, where, or why, and we're taking these people's word? Give me a break. Well, yes, I think, I think Rory, that it's one of the things that, that has amazed me. I do couples communication workshops around the country, and one of the t- things I do is to t- train people to hear personal criticism from their loved ones without becoming defensive. And yeah. um, so the first thing, the first step of that, is training people how to alter their biologically natural propensity to to become defensive. Since the 
Achilles heel of all human beings is our is our propensity to respond defensively to personal criticism and so right. everybody has that in common and so right. the uh, but once I train couples to be able to handle the personal criticism from their loved ones and then be able to share what they heard their loved ones say and their loved one says wow you've got it that's exactly what I was trying to say then I ask the the other person to respond about their perception of the same uh, the same incident that the other party was talking about, and um, and invariably they give a different version of the same in- instance. And my next level of work is to to train the second you know person who's just felt so understood to realize yes. that when you, when she or he gets a response from their partner, yes. that that response is going to be a very different story. That everybody looks through the world through our own you know different lenses and comes out with even the same situation with a very different story and this can be something that happened yesterday when you when so talk to any memory expert and they will share with you that when you when you when you take an event that happened not one day ago but 36 years ago that it can, that it can be quite legitimate that Dr. Ford is telling her truth and that Kavanaugh is telling his truth, that selective memories will allow both people to feel completely truthful and would allow both people to pass a polygraph test because they both believe in what they're saying. And so the and that's why due process is around because we if if we stay with the presumption of innocence until found guilty, um, yeah. then then we work that through from both right. sexes' perspective. Whenever we have a culture in which only one group is believed, um, yeah. then, then we have a very very dangerous culture that that undermines the very basis of which our our constitution was built and our country was created. Well, very well said, and I, I have I, I want to get into the whole pay gap uh, debunking with you, as well as uh, some other things of uh, some great videos you've done. But first, I want to give it to uh, Dan Perkins. I know you have some things to say, and then I want leaders of Black for Trump. I know you have some questions, but go ahead, Dan. Thank you. Um, I guess as I listen to the discussion and I listen to your to your research, I one of the questions that I uh, I, I want to ask, and and because I it will help me in my writing in the future, because I write current events commentary. Mm-hmm. I am curious. I'm curious about the reaction of women to what you say, especially women on the left. Yes. The well, two th- two dimensions of this. The, probably the best single objective test of this is I just did an op-ed piece for USA Today that came out on Monday after Kavanaugh saying in, you know, in, in the short USA Today modality and 350 words that I had to respond to their core editorial um, was um, I had, I, I looked, they, have, they have had a poll as to how many people agree, disagree, and so on. And they had 76% strongly agreed, um, and then 16% um, um, agreed, um, uh, agreed, and then only 6% disagreed. So they had about 90% uh, in the agreement column and 6% in the, either the strongly agreed or slightly disagreed um, column. 
versus their own um, their their own editorial, which was much more, um, you know, um, believe in Dr. Ford and you know question Dr. Kavanaugh. Um, had 45% disagreement or strongly disagreement, um, and 43% um, agreement or strongly strongly agree. And so um, I think that 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 gives a sense as to the USA Today is a bit a bit liberal, but it's and it, but it is a mainstream paper, and so um, that gives you I think some really balanced um, poll results of that. However, that said, um, the uh, since the Boy Crisis book came out, um, I've had done maybe 120 interviews. About 116, 17 of them have been from conservative media. Um, the um, liberal media has, te- has taken an initial interest in it a number of times. CBS, Atlantic, Newsweek have all taken an initial interest in the Boy Crisis book by the first people who read it. And um, with a great praise and being, you know, the producers being set up, et cetera. And then um, in those three cases uh, of liberal media, they dropped it um, as, as just without letting me know why. But I usually know why, which is that somebody who's a strong feminist among the producers um, just get, gets outraged at the fact that 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 my findings show that children do so much better uh, when they have father and mother involvement and when there is an understanding of the 10 differences between the way dads dad style parenting and mom style parenting need to be integrated uh, and they object based on the fact that they want mothers to have the freedom to have children uh, without being married and they're not willing to look at um, the consequences of that so you think that wow. that's the, the 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 research that you've been that you've been uh, collecting over the years uh, that the, the 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 women on the left the the most uh, liberal of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. refuses to accept your research and lives that's correct in that's, that's correct at least in, in, they, in they almost all of the so so for example every other book I've written. Uh, NPR, New York Times has you know covered it. Um, PBS has covered it, and with this book, they started to, and then there was the, the there was a protest was in the United States, 53% of women who have children under who have them when they're under 30 have children without being married, and part of what I found, and in the, when I did the research for the boy crisis was that these. That, that a great majority of these children who are born to moms without being married, um, the, the children do not have fathers after three to four years if they ever had fathers to begin with. And then in an analysis of how these children did, I found that yeah. they did so much worse on 70 different areas. And when they and all of those areas are listed in the appendix and then explained in the book, um, it's sort of like it, it, it makes them feel like um, I, I and I give many solutions, by the way, for single moms, like getting your children involved in Boy Scouts and in Cub Scouts, Cub Scouts, especially Cub Scouts, and getting them involved in other organizations and groups, and getting them involved in faith-based communities, whether a yeah. Protestant, Catholic, or, or, or um, Jewish, and um, and having um, you know and having them have dialogues in uh, small groups with other boys, um, and is very very helpful. So there's lots of solutions, but on the and there's 
There's ways to get stepfathers involved that allow stepfathers to be effective. So there's lots of solutions for single women, but because the central findings were how crucial it is to have both parents, the the liberal female in particular yeah. has just uh, you know just not been willing to to interview me. And what people what people uh, fail you know, what a lot right. of people fail. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Real quick though. Um, I I got. This I'm, I'm just getting, I'm giving you a heads up, Roy. This is going to yeah. be an explosive question. Okay. Okay. Then let me say something real quick. I got to make a statement. This isn't really a question, but the the feminist movement. You know, if you really look at it, you know, when it first originated, you know, it was absolutely. You know, there were things. You know, you, you know, in certain aspects that it wasn't radical in the sense it is today. I mean, if you, if you really look at, you know, there's one thing to care, there's one thing to care about women's rights. There's another thing uh, to be a feminist, which is complete entitlement. It's complete radicalization. It's complete uh, ignorance. I mean, and it's complete uh, anti-male. Uh, make, let the woman be in charge as much as possible. Uh, the male doesn't matter. I mean, it's that sort of mindset, and that's dangerous. That's very. That's not. That's not good. Uh, but go ahead, Dan. And uh, so just one quick warning. I, I have promised my wife that I would be um, to give to some consulting for her business, a business problem she's having, and be, I promised her between eight eight fifteen and eight thirty my time. So just, I just wanted to give a heads up here. Okay. Okay. I'll ask one question, and I I have to leave myself. Sure. Okay. What I want to know, what I want to know is, have you done any work on lesbian couples with children? The answer is yes and no. Yes, because I've researched the area. No, because almost all of the research that is done is from um, political sources on either the left or the right, people who have an agenda that um, that lesbian relationships or, and uh, straight male gay relationships are bad or ones that are trying to prove uh, it good. And so I haven't found good. And then the second issue is we haven't had a large number of children um, growing up who have been raised by uh, lesbian women or gay male um, parents. And so I don't have great, we don't have yet great data available. However, if you run across any study that is really well done, balanced, uh, good methodology and has longitudinal outcomes, I would love to see it because um, you know, the chances are fairly good that, um, that, that, that two things will be true, that parents who are as self-selected are self-selected are usually highly motivated, uh, whether they're gay or they're straight. So you have usually that to be true with adoptive families. You have highly motivated parents. However, we know with adopted children that there's a huge number of problems uh, when the children don't have their biological parents. Um, and so I'm not sure whether it's going to turn out that way, but certainly if you have um, a lesbian couple where there's an anti-male attitude and they're raising a male or raising a female who they hope to have any success in a world with uh, dealing with men, um, then that's a setup for really um, a bad outcome. Thank you. Uh, Thanks. Stay on, Dan. Uh, Dr. Warren, I Dr. Farrell, I really need you on for 10 more minutes. I really have important things to ask you. First of all, what I really want to ask you, you made a great video about this. Um, 
and I want you to de- I want you to debunk this. And I'm going to let people ask you questions, but I'm going to leave that towards the end because I want to get what I what I really wanted to ask you out of the way. You know, you talk about the age the the wage gap between men and women, and you know we have all these feminists bitching and constantly complaining with their lack of ignorance, and they don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Um, you know, with you know with what they're um, preaching, saying, well, men men make more than men make more than us. Well, men are more superior than us. You know, we do this. I mean, it was just complete gibberish. And the media spins it, especially the liberal media, like women are the victims. But if you really look at uh, the stat, the stats, and uh, the the facts, and you know, the degrees and the education uh, uh, standpoint. Um, it, it all adds up why, you know, this happens. And the hours, you know, a lot of times men work more hours than women do. And, you know, it, it, this is, it has nothing to do with sexism. And that's where the liberals are, are dead wrong. Uh, but please, you wrote a book about this, and it's the same sort of thing they preach uh, when they talk about toxic masculinity. And, you know, you wrote a book about um, – Oh God! What was it called? It was um, the myth of male power. What, why men earn more and what women can do about it? Yeah, and then the myth of male power, where male, you know, the left always says the men are, all, you know, the, the enemy. You know, the, the women are the ones that are all the victims. I mean, please, though, elaborate on, on what I just said, though. I mean, I, you know, I really want yeah. to get into the whole gap, the wage gap. A few minutes ago, I gave you uh, gave a little hint as to what one of the issues was, which is that the wage gap I found is not a gap between males and females. It's a gap between dads and moms. It's when people have children, couples have children, that dads are likely to increase their amount of focus on the workplace. They're likely to give up jobs they love, like teaching, and become administrators. Give up, give up, um, you know, sort of um, selling. Or they give up teaching altogether, the education system altogether, and maybe sell insurance and sell it nationwide rather than locally. And they experience what I call a father's catch-22, learning to love their family by being away from the love of their family. And they are away from the love of their family, earning money, uh, doing things oftentimes they like less, no longer being the musician or the artist or the, you're writing the great American novel that they hoped to write when they were younger. Um, but they now recognize that as a result of having children, um, life, life is not about rights, it's about responsibilities. So I go out and I earn more money, and even if, it, if, even if I don't enjoy doing what I'm doing. Now, as a result of that, dads earn significantly more money than women. But the feminist movement has taken men fulfilling their obligation to be responsible in earning money and said, ah, men earn more money than women do for the same work. And so I I really analyze this because I really believe that if men do earn more money than women do for the same work, that this shows a contempt for women that I am not okay with. And so um, I studied to look at what led to higher pay and I found out 25 different variables that led to high pay I did the best I could to measure statistically uh, what those variables were worth uh, in the workplace and um, and I found that for example women who have never been married and never had children earn 117% of what men who have never been married and never had children earn 
because women who have never been married and never have children know that they need they can focus on their career and women who focus on their career make more than their male counterparts. Um, men who don't have children and have never been married, um, they often feel that they can have freedom to do things that are fulfilling. And the more, as a rule, the more fulfilling the occupation it is, the less it pays. Because the more, if you want to be a, a, an artist, you know, we hear starving artists in in Los Angeles. There's millions of people who are who are um, who are aspiring actors, and they, most of them have the same name, waiter. And so the, when you're a father, you know you can't take those types of risks, so you have to earn more. But to, to take that obligation of earning more and give up the glint in your eye because you want to have support your children moving into a better neighborhood, having better schools, and having not having to drive an Uber or um, do the types of things you, would, you need to do to, to support them, to take that sacrifice and then turn it on its head and say those men who earn more have male privilege and male power is a complete misunderstanding of the male role and a demonization of exactly what men do best. Oh, wow. Very, yeah, very well said. And, you know, I, I agree with you. And, and, you know, what I want to, what I really want to get, get to, um, you know, which is very important. I, you talk about another big thing, uh, and I know you have to run soon, but another big topic you made a video about the three biggest causes of school shootings, which I found fascinating, which you kind of talk about young, the youth kind of, you know, in a certain way it has to do with some sort of mental health. I mean, there's so many different aspects to it. Yes, and I'm going to have to just give you a, like a one-sentence answer to this one, which is that in looking at mass shootings, both school shootings and um, major mass shootings like the one in, ones in Las Vegas, uh, what I found was that the children that the children – that, that, that they were, A, boys, of course, and, B, that they were almost always boys who had no father involvement and minimal father involvement and, to, and, and to a disproportionate extent, um, boys who um, came from broken families. Um, and so, you know, if we want to eliminate or minimize um, ISIS recruits, school shootings, mass shootings, um, and the types of crimes that lead to um, being in prison, um, there, there's a lot of things one can do. But the single most important is not just the amount of money, it's the amount of fathering. Uh, children that grow up in wealthy communities without their dad do not do as well in math and science as do children who grow up in poorer communities economically uh, with their dad and their mom um, parenting together. Yeah, very, very well, very well said. Very well said. Um, before I let my final uh, couple of people a- uh, ask you like two questions. Last no, no, I, I really have to go, otherwise okay. I'm going to get in trouble in my marriage. Last, 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 question, <laughs> last question before you go. It's said that you publicly supported Hillary Clinton in 2016. Is that true or false? I'm afraid it's true. I would no longer do that. I I tried to get the um, Clinton people to understand boys' issues and men's issues, and I thought I was making progress, but she never um, changed her – uh, her focus. I, I do have more, um, you know, I believe in things like, you know, fighting global warming and uh, things like that. And so I was moving to in, in, and I didn't care for the way um, Trump um, conducted himself. And so that had led me to that, but I would no longer um, support Hillary Clinton. 
No, I hear, I hear you absolutely. And real quick, what is your solution to uh, women coming out with accusations? Like Melania Trump made a statement: women need to show evidence, uh, you know, and, and be sufficient with what their story and what they're coming out with. I mean, how do we go about this from here? I mean, it's one word against the other. I mean, what is your solution to this? The solution is due process and, and innocent until proven guilty. And women having to, women like men having to be responsible and accountable. The second we say we believe only women, we are really showing a contempt for women by not holding women equally accountable. You can never expect people to succeed in the world if they are not trained with equal accountability. To, to do that, to, for feminists to advocate um, just to believe women is really an insult to women and everything that they said about women in the beginning, that is, I am woman, I am strong, not I am woman, I'm going to hone victimhood as a fine art. Wow. Very, very Thank well you. said it. And, Leaders of Blacks for Trump, you had a question for the man. Go ahead. I've, I've got to go. I'm sorry. Um, um, okay. I, have to, uh, I have to do boundary enforcement here. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll be <laughs> happy right. to come back again. Well, I really love the group of people you gathered together and, and respect what you're, what you're doing. You, you guys <laughs> ask great questions, have um, very uh, wonderful thoughts, and, and listen really well. So I, I really appreciate the time Dr. with Fer- you. Dr. Farrell, please promote anything uh, where people can find you, your book, your website. All that stuff. Uh, the, bu- the book's name is The Boy Crisis, B-O-Y Crisis, and my name is Warren Farrell. F is in Frank, A-R-R-E-L-L, it's not Will Farrell. Um, and um, the, the easiest way to get my book is, well, if you are a supporter of um, independent bookstores, get it, get it at an independent bookstore. If, you, um, if money is an important issue for you, uh, Amazon has a, a 33% discount sale on the boy crisis right now. And so um, that would probably be uh, the, the two best places to go. Yeah, and for the audience, everybody, he wrote this with uh, the famous uh, John Gray. Uh, so be sure to read this book, uh, and it's very insightful. Uh, you, you guys tell a lot of, uh, you know, straight facts the way it is, and, uh, you know, it could really uh, give people uh, a lot of great uh, information that uh, they could utilize. Thank you. I hope the most important information to look in, at in the boy crisis, if you do nothing else, get it from a library and read the chapters on the differences between dad-style parenting and mom-style parenting and knowing how to communicate about the value of each um, for, your, for your children. Um, great to talk with you both. Um, right. I'll say goodbye and uh, look forward to, to doing another session with you. Absolutely. Thank you so God, much. God bless. You, you have a great, a great night, and uh, thank you for coming on, and we appreciate having you on. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Bye-bye. All right. Dr. Warren Farrell, everybody, what an amazing guest. Uh, he was fantastic. I mean, this guy, uh, Dan Perkins, I, I want you to stay on the line for a second. I do want to welcome our next special guest. Very, very popular guy right now, uh, doing very well, entrepreneur, activist, and popular talk show host, Josh Bernstein. How are you, my friend? Good. Doing well. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, everything is great. Uh, we have a lot to get to. Uh, you obviously have a lot of inside information. Um, you know, there is a bunch of headlines that I will uh, talk to you about and address. But uh, first of all, tell, tell us what you know. 
Well, it just depends on, you know, which thing we're talking about. Um, obviously, this uh, hurricane in Florida has been in the news cycle yep. the most. Uh, and yep. now we find out that uh, the Democrat Party of Florida is actually do, doing an emergency stay to try to get the voter registration put back another week so that they're allowed to register more Democrats uh, and take advantage of the, you know, displaced people in, in the uh, in the storm. So pretty low on their part, that's for sure. Hopefully the lawsuit uh, is going to be turned down. Uh, the voting ended, uh, as far as registration, ended as the storm was hitting. So it didn't, you know, affect pretty much anyone and their ability to be able to vote. But Again, just like uh, Rahm Emanuel once famously said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. And you know what? I really want to get into, and I know everybody wants to talk about this. You know, we talked about Kanye earlier, which we had a great segment about. But what I really want to get to, and I will ask your thoughts about Kanye in a little bit, Josh. But what I want, what I want to talk about is, and Dan Perkins, you were right. I'm going to give you a bunch of credit on this one. Uh, Hillary Clinton is running for re-election. She's running uh, again in 2020. Uh, she's out on the campaign trail. She's getting her packs together. She's getting her gang together. Uh, this woman is running. There's no doubt about it. Even Alex Jones is talking about it. Um, this, you know, this, this is kind of a little surprising, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> what Democrat is going to stand in her way unless they want to be killed? <laughs> well, first of all, I disagree with every single political pundit out there, and I'll go on record saying so. Uh, there's absolutely no chance that she would ever run again. The only place she's running to is probably the morgue because of how ill she is and all of the coughing and the uh, emphysema and everything else as far as what she has and you know the subcortical vascular dementia that she's being diagnosed with by Dr. Bardak. So believe yeah. me, she's not running for president again. She's just trying to remain relevant. She's probably getting ready to do another book tour or something like that. But she's definitely not running for president again. You can Did anybody show up at these Dan rallies? Valerie, go ahead. No, nobody shows up. Uh, you know, I mean. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to have a book tour with no audience. Exactly. Exactly. The Democratic Party is never going to allow her to run again. They would never allow it. They saw how bad she got beat the last time. She's a twice-run loser. Uh, They're not going to give her a third opportunity. As I've said many times before, the days of a white man or white woman as a standard bearer for the Democratic Party are over. They ran with a half-black, half-white Muslim in 2008 and in 2012, and they won. So believe me, they're going to look at someone radical like Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or somebody like that. You're not going to see a purebred white man or woman again. Dan Perkins, you write for the big media outlets. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I know that they they announced this week they're going to do a 10-city tour of stadium presentations with Bill and Hillary. And... um, they're going to charge the top price is $765 a seat. And um, I, they're, they're doing it because when, when she ran against Donald Trump, 
Donald Trump was doing 30, 40, 50, 60,000 seat stadiums filled to yeah. overflowing, and Hillary was lucky yep. if she could get 3,000. I mean, and, Trump and was selling out football. <laughs> Trump was selling out NFL stadiums. That's the kind of size and attendance he was getting. So, so I, I said, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking confidentially because I can't tell you who, but I spoke to somebody very close to the president, suggesting that as soon as they an, identify the American cities where the double Clinton tour is going to be, the president should schedule a visit to those cities the day before those those performances nice. and see, see if he can outdraw her and put enormous pressure on her to go away. But I, I have written and I, I, I was on one of the first times I was on this show, I said that the democratic party is the party of victimhood. The number one victim in the democratic party above all else, is Hillary Clinton. And I said at the time, this was over a year ago, on one of the first shows for, for, for Roy, and I've written about it prior to that, that I believe there are two exceptions of why she wouldn't be the nominee. One, health reasons, and two, or two, she's led away in an orange jumpsuit. And I think that that second alternative is still viable because I believe that uh-huh. if the Democrats do not gain control of the House in the midterm elections, they're not going to get control of the Senate. But if they don't get control of the House, the president has said in many, many stops across the country, the midterm campaign is about his agenda. And whether or not the American people want his agenda. If if the vote is as strong as I believe it will be in favor of the Republican Party, Donald Trump will clean house in the Treasury and the Justice Department. And yep. new people will come in and they will seriously investigate they'll, they'll clean house, but they'll seriously investigate Mrs. Clinton and her emails again and the Clinton Crime Family Foundation, and what she did in the Uranium One uh, purchase of Americans, 20% of Americans' uranium reserves. So it's going to be... They can't do anything until they get a real attorney general, number one. Number two, they got to get rid of... Hell, Nikki Haley could out... Uh, maneuver and get bigger crowds than both Clintons combined at this point. So they're not the draw that they once were. Many, many Democrats do not like them, as well as independents and obviously Republicans. So uh, I just don't see really – I don't even think they're going to make 10 tours or 10 stops. I think they'll fizzle out after four or five. No one's going to pay that kind of money to see these two washed-up old corrupt hags walking around in their walkers (laughs) – you know, what are they going to do? What are they going to say? What kind of what could they possibly say that's new and refreshing for America and or the Democratic Party? Nothing. So, again, I don't look too far into this whole Hillary and Bill running around gallivanting across the United States trying to 
make themselves relevant. I, I don't see it. I will say this. I don't think there's going to be a blue wave. I don't think there's going to be a red wave. I think if I had to guess, you're either looking at a trickle or a red trickle. Uh, and I do believe that the Senate is going to be in good hands with the Republicans. I think we should pick up four to six seats. Uh, clearly, the North Carolina, uh, the North Dakota seat is ours. There's no question about that one. Um, and I think that uh, Tennessee is looking like that one's going to be uh, Arizona. And, and then, look at Arizona right now. Uh, McSally's leading Cinema by nine points. I heard about four or five points, but yeah, I mean she's definitely up a little bit. Um, so I think that uh, the Senate is is going to turn out pretty well for us. Uh, as far as the House, I don't know. It's hard to say at this point. Look, I've seen some polling in California, you know, deep blue California that had some districts where the Republicans were either even or even winning by a few percentage points. So, you know, stranger things have happened. I, I think that the Kavanaugh confirmation hearings and the testimony and all that just reawoken the, you know, basically apathetic, if you want to use that word, base. The conservative base woke up. They were complacent and apathetic, and they woke up, and they said, wow, look at these crazy people and what they're planning on doing to us and what they're capable of. we got to go out there and vote. So I think that that was a big, big part of this. Right. No, no absolutely. 100%. And, you know, Dan, your thoughts, though, your response. Well, I agree. I mean, uh, um, before the Kavanaugh hearing, when when uh, Feinstein uh, let it know that she had sent these, this note to the FBI, uh, Ted Cruz was purported to be about dead even with his with his uh, other with his opponent. The last yeah. polling data I saw early this week is that he was up by 14 points. And, well, and in Tennessee, in Tennessee, the the Republican candidate is up. And so Black, what, what I believe is Right. Yes. I I believe that there are there are people and and the sleeper here, the sleeper here, in my opinion, is that the the Democrats on election night 2016 created a new racial slur. And that was called white, uneducated male voters won the election for Donald Trump. I think I think what's going on, this awakening has awakened two classes of people. One, the white, uncollege-educated male voters who voted for Trump before, but the new class are the moms and the women in the suburbs who see by what happened in the Kavanaugh hearing that their sons, their husbands, their brothers are now vulnerable to having their lives destroyed by simply by an, an accusation. And yep. that's got them very angry. So there's a new group that's moving away, plus the fact that the black population, I believe by, by what happened today with Kanye, will probably drive close to 40% in polling data next yep. week. And, and you've got big labor, who the head of the AFL-CIO said months ago, he wouldn't rule out endorsing Donald Trump for president in 2020. But I right. think that Big Lager is, is not going to be supporting a lot of Democrats in this midterm election. They're going to be working for, quietly, working for re- Republicans. 
And with that, sir, I've got to go. I've got an early morning television show tomorrow. Okay. Hey, Dan Perkins, always a pleasure. Uh, Please tell everyone where they can find you and all your products. The best place to get me to learn everything about Dan Perkins is danperkins.guru, G-U-R-U. And as always, thank you for having me on, Roy. Yep, and you'll be a big part of the uh, my new uh, media empire that I'm bringing a lot of people aboard on, uh, the Next Gen USA, and I'm very excited to have you a part of it. Thank you, sir. Take care. Good night. All right, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Um, Josh, um, you know, I, I really want to, you know, talk to you about, the, you know, first of all, Valerie, your thoughts, though. My thoughts about the election? Everything um, we just discussed. I haven't got to you in a while. <laughs> I've been listening intently. Um, I think that the Republicans are going to do better than what I've been hearing um, in the last five minutes or so. I think we're going to crush it. I do. I think in the House yeah. and the Senate. And I also think, you know, the governors. I just think right now people are fed up with the victimization of the of the Democratic Party, and Hillary is right. the number one. Like like you um, said, um, you know she's she's out there inciting violence against the Republicans. I mean, you know how much worse can it get? Um, every time every time I see that woman, I, I I it resembles the devil's daughter. I mean, if there if Satan had a daughter, it's Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Um, and actually with regard to Ted Cruz I I, I didn't hear 12% but I I do believe he'll win my concern is he's ahead by double digits right now I confirmed that with a poll I saw sorry I said he's ahead by double digits right now I confirmed that with a new poll I saw great my concern is the governors also um, with DeSantis I, at Florida. I am um, very concerned. Right. His right. opponent that, that is black guy anti in Florida. Everything. I mean, that guy, uh, what's his name, Gilliam? He's a communist. That yes. guy he's is a, he's a that communist. Guy is a and he's an anti-Semite. Yeah, and he's admitted to being good friends with George Soros and taking money from him. But leaders of Black for Trump, are you on the line, buddy? Yes, sir. What's your thoughts on all this, leaders of Black for Trump? What's going on, Michael? Well, I think Kanye West is our hero again, and uh, they're in trouble because now that's going to get the other side that I already know support President Trump to come in, and I think that they're going to wipe out and kill him because once they find out he's for the, for you know, black women. They'll go for a lot of stuff, but they don't really, really dig gay marriage and stuff like that. And, and you're hey, real things, quick, uh, real quick for people that don't know, this is leaders of Black for Trump. He's always behind Trump at every rally. He's famous. He's made the black vote increased um, significantly and amazingly. Uh, he's done so much great activism for this country. Uh, you all know who Michael is. He's constantly on the TV, and he lives in Florida, so this race really matters to him. But keep going. Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, no, uh, I'm not going to let Gillum make it. I have my little radio station. I'm blasting him every day, so he's not going to win nothing in the south part of Florida. So, because uh, everybody that's black stars, and I go when I go to South Beach, 
man, I heard that Lord splash so, man. When that dude do that, man, I ain't doing it with him, man. That's how black people are talking right now. And and so they're watching. Some of them want to see me more behind Trump because, you know, I'm just the regular guy. I'm not the big famous star. I'm a, I'm a really nothing. I just, but they're looking at that as themselves. It's like, even though I drive a little, uh, an older Rolls Royce, and when I pull up, they say, oh, man, one of us got this. And they want to take pictures with my car. And all the stars got their cars out there. They're not interested. So the bottom line is when Trump is seen with the regular black guy, they're dead. They're not going to make it. And that's what's great about Trump. He gets to everybody. To go across the board, I even want Steve Bannon to, you know, get more involved and get out there, bring the alt right. We got to do everybody because, you know, like Jesus said, uh, invite everybody that my house may be full, Luke 14, 16. So if you invite everybody, the good, the weak, the, and the lame, like Jesus did, that's what Trump did the last time. He had me getting all of the left and some black people and all of the never Trumpsters that, that came. That's because they felt good and didn't have to worry about being called a racist because this regular black guy was there. And then on the right, you had uh, our brother Steve Bannon got all in, and Trump got everybody in between, and he beat the living slob out of Hillary Clinton, especially as she called them deplorable. So I'm praying that they don't get rid of that example. Trump used it, and it worked. And what it does is it brings the white people 74% of the electorate. The way they win is to divide and conquer. Black people can't really vote somebody in or out. We're only 13% of the population. But what we do is give the other, when they see guys like me, I just give them, like Trump said to me one time at the airport, he said, you gave the deplorables permission to vote for me so they wouldn't feel, I don't. I make them not feel guilty. So go ahead on and make America great. Damn all this other stuff. You ain't got to apologize and punish yourself by voting for Hillary and making your taxes high just to apologize to me. Damn that. Make America great so I can make some money too. I don't want to bring you down to my level. I want to go up to your level. Let's go up to exactly. that. That's going to heaven. So, that's why, I, you know, I, I love what Kanye West is doing. He is killing them. They cannot yeah, baby. And it takes, they, and it takes a lot of pressure off me because I was the guy they were calling Uncle Tom and, you know, seen by, like they said, I was seen by six and a half billion people around the world, which I thought was impossible. But I was told that, saying, my God, you were on every station, front newspaper with President Trump, who is the most famous man in the world, and, but they also they also use that as an occasion to call me every kind of cool and spit. I mean, things you can't even say on the radio. They call me that. But all it did was made it more popular, made people look more into it, go into my website and see why I call her the race. Hillary is the one dressed in blackface, not Trump. Trump was never called a racist before he ran for president. Now, exactly. even all of those people love Trump. All of the rappers, they got him in his song, in their songs. Now, all of a sudden, he's a racist just because he believes in everybody having a fair shot. You understand? So that's that's why I love this guy because I know that this is the Cyrus that the Bible is talking about. It's going to deliver God's people, the black man and the white man, out of up, up from under this slavery that Rockefeller and Rothschilds and all these nuts and sorrows have us in. He's going to snatch us out of their hands and give, give the earth back to us, and that is his job. 
because he is anointed by God to do so. So, oh, God, you're talking about get out of here. The Bible said Cyrus was a Gentile, and as a Gentile, <laughs> God called his anointed and the Savior of my people, saved the Lord. That's Isaiah 45. Hey, and, and you know what? And I, and I say this all yeah. the time. Donald J. Trump is the second coming. He's the second coming. I mean, he really is. There's no other way to say it. Because if you can find me a human on the face of this earth that can accomplish and, and create the impossible like Donald J. Trump has, then I guarantee nobody could find me somebody as profound and talented as Donald J. Trump. I mean, this guy was made special from God, and, to, and God brought him to save America and I believe this is a whole religious. I strongly believe he's the second coming. Call me crazy all you want, but there's so much more uh, to the reason Trump became president than people think. I mean, he saved uh, not only our country, but the entire world. I mean, every world leader is starting to come to him and trying to make a deal with him. I mean, this guy has made things happen like nobody could ever believe. That's how Cyrus was in the Bible. Cyrus conquered the world. And guess what? Yeah. Trump is conquering him without a weapon. He doesn't even have to yeah. fight. He's doing it exactly yeah. how God told us to go take Canaan back. He said, you knock down his first country, and everybody else will be scared of you. So when he hit Assyria, then Jim, Kim Jong-un and all of them, everybody calmed their ass down. Because he saw yeah. that he was not going to be being stupid. I'm blowing up everything in that crazy rush. Right. If you come over here, we're going to do something. I'm coming. Boom. Kim Jong-un right. says, hey, bro, I'm, I'm cool yeah. with you now, my man. I, hey, listen, I'm sorry about all that crap I was talking Of course you are, because you're not, you're not tougher <laughs> than America. When the black man and the white man is in unity, we're going to whoop your ass. I don't care if you're China. You, be <laughs> you ain't got but one ship, man. You can't whoop the black man and the white man in unity, and that's what they're panicking about. Because they see the black man is coming in, becoming in unity with the Gentiles, that is the end of their ass. So they they know it's going to sit trying to fight them because you can't whoop us. Why ain't you on the basketball court? Where are you in the boxing ring? I only see black people, white people, and Latin people. I don't see no Arabs in there. It might be two of them in there, but I don't know. So anyway, what I'm telling you is that I'm not against those people. They can go to heaven because Revelation 7, 9 to 13 says every nation, kindred, and tongue will go to heaven in the last day if you're righteous. But we need Donald J. Trump to be exactly America's savior, man, the king of all kings. No, the world is the world savior, not the America savior. He is the earth savior. Even though he's not yep. putting America first, he saves the world. You understand? Yep. A, a lot of people don't understand that. But I do, because this is the land of opportunity. This is the land of freedom. Everybody else is a fake. And so now they got to submit to Cyrus or take an ass right. whooping. So you right. talk all that and, trash, all you want, China, but you're making your money by stealing from us. You don't have right. And I want to tell, I wanna tell all Yeah, no, and, and absolutely. You make the best point, and you're absolutely right. And I kind of I want to tell the audience, and Josh, I'm going to get to you in one second, but I want to tell the audience is that, you know, Donald J. Trump's fan base and the support that he generates and, and gets, we've never seen anything like this in history. I mean, rock stars or athletes don't even get this sort of uh, attention 
and massive support. I mean, he is basically a godly figure. I mean, Donald J. Trump is his own religion. We are literally, uh, you, could, you could call it the Trump Bible. I mean, we could have our own Trump religion. I mean, this guy has totally, amazingly uh, reconstructed America uh, to its principal values and the rule of law and the Constitution uh, like never seen before. I mean, we are back to uh, our, our founding fathers' principles. I mean, this guy took, you know, a mess that he had to take from Obama and turn our country into the biggest powerhouse ever imaginable in one year. I mean, who the fuck else could do that? Nobody. I mean, this guy, like I said before, he's a profound machine made by God. You will not find another human like Donald J. Trump. You won't find a guy like him. I mean, this guy is so uh, uniquely... Uh, gifted and creative. I mean, it's unbelievable. Josh, go ahead. He has two words. You know what those two words are? Yeah. Balls and and brains. Yep. He's got the balls to make the decisions, and he's he's got the brains to make the right decisions. For the first time in history, we have a president who's not controlled by anyone. Right. Balls and brains. And, you know, one of the things that President Trump ought to do immediately is he ought to offer Kanye West a position, a cabinet yep. position in his administration as uh, outreach coordinator for African Americans and put him out there in every single urban city and black community in America and have him go out there and do rallies and everything else yep. from now yep. for the next 25 days till the election, yep. and we yep. will be in great shape. And then what we could do after that, and this is a really yep. radical idea, Maybe get rid of Mike Pence and put Kanye West on the ticket and have him run in 2020 oh, God, with Trump and West. VP. Could you imagine? I mean, oh, my God. Not the, not the West I was thinking West... about. I was always thinking could Alan you... West. But, hell, I'd settle for Kanye. Could you imagine how the left would erupt? Oh, my God. Um, but, no, but you've got to imagine this real quick. We need every Trump black supporter – uh, famous athlete, celebrity. We're talking Floyd Mayweather, who supports Trump. We're talking Mike Tyson, who supports Trump. We're talking Dennis Rodman, who supports Trump. We're talking all these big Hall of Famer, big time. They names. need to do a tour. Be out there, all of them. All of them. I mean, we need we need all these ten, people like, out find there. like ten black Trump supporters that are famous, including Diamond and Silk and all them, Alan West, and put them all out on a tour. 15 to 20 different speakers and have them go to every single city. I would, I would start that yesterday. I would start that tonight and, uh, right. and go out there, and that would absolutely crush the midterms, crush it. Right. And, you, you know, you have, so, you have so many black athletes and celebrities that are supporting Trump, and, you know, how much of an impact they can make is huge and so significant. Uh, black for Trump, though, uh, leader, you had a, you had a comment. Go ahead. Are you talking to me? Yeah, you had a comment. Go ahead. You were going to say something. Oh no, I wasn't. I was listening to you, but yeah, I, I have a lot to say. You know, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I had a little situation where I was going. I, I was bringing a bunch of black stars and was going to give Trump a doctorate degree at that event from a black Haitian college, and I'm still planning on doing that 
But I think what, the, what this brother just said is absolutely splendiferous. It's great. If we could get the black stars to come on out, because what, what Trump, I mean, what Kanye is doing is give, giving everybody the nerves to come on out. Because that's what people were yes. saying about me. Kanye is opening the door. People, right. Because yep. I would give black people the fearlessness. You know, you had you to have somebody to take the first ass whooping. So I took the first <laughs> ass whooping. So now uh, our biggest, one of our biggest pop stars is, is taking the ass whooping and giving the ass whooping. And so now it's easy for everybody else to come on in. And when black yeah. people start seeing it and noticing it, because you, yeah. you ain't going to believe what it took. So you had to have a Donald J. Right. Trump. Let me tell you really right. why. Because right. I have helped every president from 1997 till now who was running as a Republican from John McCain, who told me he don't need little black boys to help him, even though I had a shirt on that said, Republicans are not racist. He would not allow me to stand with him with 30 black guys. In 2011, Trump was one of the ones, and really one of the only ones that allowed me to yeah. get on stage, let my band yeah. play behind him, and when that guy tried to get us off stage, I had 22 brothers on the stage, 22 Jeez. men and women. My- and they tried my, to my, saying, Trump turned on the Oh, you ain't going to let me say that. Okay. I want to take No, keep Trump going. No, keep continuing. Keep continuing with your story. We, we're just on a time frame. Keep you t- finish it up, though. Sorry. Okay. So Donald Trump told him, hey, don't get away from Michael. Let him stay up here right now. Get away from him. And we stood on the stage with him for his first announcement that he was going to run. Now, even though he did not run, he was the only one that wanted us to actually stand with him. Because all you got to realize is that the only thing the Democrats are doing is they are acting like they like black people. They don't right. believe that white Republicans like us. So they don't want to help you because why should I help you and you don't like me? So when they see Trump, they black say, Trump, that's my brother right there. Black say, Trump, yeah. that's my friend. They say, wow, yeah. he, he likes us. You know, that's what gives because he... That's what touches it, and you got to do it in a festive atmosphere. You can't do it, like you just said, right. have big concerts and all that. If we right. do it that way, so black people are emotional. They don't want to just sit there and just listen to a speech. The only person that we'll listen to like that right. is Trump. Why? Because he's funny yeah. as hell. And he, not yeah, and he's look, telling the and, truth, he's yeah. comical. He's putting on a show. And look at Yeah, and looking at an example, you know, the NFL ratings have – have risen as anthem protests slow, you know, go down. Like people aren't kneeling anymore, and people are now watching the NFL again. Imagine that. You know, the players don't kneel, people start watching again. That's another big Trump effect. And now we got Kevin McCarthy, who's introducing a bill that will fully fund the border wall, which is totally necessary, which is probably right. going to be a total total go. And I also want to mention what pisses me off. We had a truck. There was a recent report of a truck that was set on fire because of a pro-Trump sticker. That's the kind of evil leftist kind of people we're dealing with in our country. I mean, we got we got some stuff. I mean, and you know, we got people like Michael Avenatti who's challenging President Trump's son to an MMA fight for attention. I mean, give me a fucking break. This is this is ridiculous. We got we got all this stuff going on at once, and I and I have this two hour show where I have all these topics where I want to talk about all of them. But goddamn, there's so much going on every day. Jesus Christ! Um, oh my God, I just said a lot. 
you know, thank God they just apprehended uh, a, a man that built a bomb for election day for the midterms in Washington, D.C. These people are nuts. I mean, the, the, these people are going crazy over these midterms. Um, this is, uh, this is all blowing my mind. Valerie, go, go ahead, Valerie. And then Josh. <laughs> well, I don't think of Trump as the second coming. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> I do think he's doing an amazing job. Um, right. And I do think he's definitely making history with the way right. he handles himself and the way he's right. giving confidence to the Republican Party um, to stand right. up. Because, you know, before him, we were a bunch of wimps. We, we yeah. let the Democrats run over us. And yeah. I think he's shown, you know, I think Kavanaugh is the first guy that stand up, would stand up to Congress. And I think yeah. that's all due to what Trump has taught. Republican Party is to stop right. uh, being such a wimp, such wimps. Um, right. So I'm I'm really proud of of that part of our party and of what Trump has brought to um, to the party. You know, all these Absolutely. years we just took yeah. it, and I'm, I'm yeah. we are, hoping this is going to turn everything around. Very well said, Valerie. We are out of time. I do want Josh to give his final thoughts before we do cut out. And Josh, please please promote yourself. Yeah, uh, the Josh Bernstein Show on uh, Amazon, Amazon Television, Roku, Firestick TV, uh, YouTube, Patreon.com forward slash Josh Bernstein, downloadable app on Android and iPhone, Wikipedia site. So pretty much anywhere, if you go to a computer and type in my name, you can find information on me, but I agree with Valerie. Uh, he's not the second coming. I, I don't, wouldn't take it that far. It's amazing what he's been able to accomplish <laughs> in the first two years, uh, just yeah. based on the sheer volume of opposition that he faces from every single direction. So it is quite right. remarkable in that respect. Um, but look, you know, I've said this to a lot of people. The reason that they're going absolutely bat, you know what, crazy is because for yeah. eight years they had a Muslim Marxist leader that allowed them to do whatever they want. I mean, it was just a yeah. free-for-all. Anything they wanted for to do, sure. break the law, spy on people, it didn't matter. And yeah. that all yep. stopped when President Trump yeah. was elected, and it was like kids having their candy taken from them all at once yeah. on Halloween, and they just yeah. don't know what to do, so they lash out, and they cry, and they become kindergartners and they lash out with violence, and that's where we are now. Absolutely, and, and Josh, uh, it's, always a pl- it's always a pleasure having you on the show. There's one topic we didn't get to today, which we'll get to next time, but uh, Dina Powell is rumored to uh, take over possibly the ambassador of the United Nations, but she has a deep connection with the Clintons in the past, and she's yeah, very dirty. But I will, I will get into details on that on the next show. And Josh, you and I will have to go over that because I'm sure you have some information. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Okay, cool. So, Josh, God bless, and uh, we'll have you back on next week, man. Always a pleasure. You got it. No problem. Looking forward to it. All right, Josh Bernstein, everybody. Cheers, sir. Cheers. Valerie, please promote yourself. Real yes. Quick. Uh, you can find me at jihad um, at backyardjihad.com, and you can find our company at skyraysecurity.com. Excellent. And you can visit rorysodder.tv. You can visit getyourappbuilt.com. Visit the donaldjtrumpstore.com. 
and uh, we will be uh, presenting to you our brand new media empire, the Next Gen USA, which I'm very excited about. We'll be doing a lot of video, live broadcast, TV shows, radio shows, you name it, 24-7 breaking news coverage. Um, so tonight we've had an amazing show. I want to thank all my guests. I want to thank my co-hosts. I want to thank my audience. I want to thank my sponsors. Um, it's been incredible. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, you can always find us on just to name a few platforms, Radio Public, Blurberry, iHeart, Stitcher, CastBox, Player.fm, iTunes, Spotify. We're all over the Internet. We're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. We're now downloadable in 17 countries. Um, I love all the fans. Uh, thank you to everyone. I hope you all have a blessed weekend, and uh, we will be back with you on Tuesday. All right. Uh, cheers, everybody.